privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. The x radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the x radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. This is the X-Zone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Don't forget, you can always read the online version of the X Chronicles newspaper. I think we have about 30 editions from our archives up at www.xchronicles-newspaper.com forward slash publisher. And um, the September issue was there. We were so happy. Over 217,000 reads at that website. Uh, that's not including the members of the media that we send copies to, our mailing list, our subscription list. So anyway, I just want to thank everyone for making this one of the most popular editions that we've had. And we're expecting more come the October issue, which of course is dedicated to Halloween and all things that go bump in the night and so on and so forth. 
My guest this hour, Exonation, is Walter Bosley, a former FBI counterintelligence specialist. He is also a former uh, special agent with the AFOSI. He's a licensed private investigator and personal security consultant, and is also founder and publisher at Lost Continent Library. Walter is in pre-production on Secret of the Amazon Queen, his first feature film as a director, and is co-author with Richard B. Spence of Empire of the Wheel, Lespionage, the Occult and Murder in Southern California, which is currently available at Amazon.com. If you'd like to find out more about uh, Walter and Lost Continent Library, there's a it's very simple. Just go to lostcontinentlibrary.blogspot.com. And Walter Bosley, welcome to the Exxon. Well, Rob, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, former FBI counterintelligence specialist, special agent with the AFOSI, licensed private investigator, personal security consultant, and publisher at Lost Continent Library. Wow, where do you find time? Oh, well, you, you got to pretty much stop one to do the other. I, I did that a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I was traveling around the world uh, doing consulting, and uh, my son started high school, and I decided, well, I, I, better, uh, I better be around during those high school years. So I decided to focus on the publishing, and that's uh, what I've been doing mostly um, over the past six years. Wow. And, um, you know, expanding the catalog, doing some writing, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just um, you know, making it work, getting the movie going, and it, it, I, I stay busy. I, okay, I certainly can see that. Tell us a little bit about Lost Continent Library. Lost Continent Library is an, an adventure fiction publishing company, a mm-hmm. classic adventure that I started in 2002, um, it focused uh, primarily on uh, um, the, the old-fashioned type adventure. Everything, all the stories took place, they were set prior to 1950. That was the cutoff. And, and we've been going strong for, uh, good gosh, nine years now, and I've expanded. I do not just classic adventure. We're getting into a little bit of steampunk. Mm-hmm. I have other imprints for um, pure science fiction and uh, kind of noir thrillers and also nonfiction, which is what we published uh, Empire of the Wheel under. When we come back from this two-minute commercial break, Walter, I'd like to talk to you about Empire of the Wheel, espionage, the occult, and murder in Southern California. How does that work for you? That sounds great. All right. Walter Bosley is my special guest this hour, ExoNation. www.lostcontinentlibrary.blogspot.com. This coming February 2012, 17, 18, 19, I'm going to be the Master of Ceremonies at the Body, Soul, Spirit Expo in Toronto, Ontario. That's being held at the International Center right across the street from Pearson International Airport. For more information on how you can become an exhibitor, if there's any spots left, or if you'd like to find out about the Body, Soul, Spirit Expo itself, visit their website at www.bodysoulspiritexpo.com. Com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. We'll be back on the other side of this two-minute break with Walter Bosley as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.
Walter Bosley is our special guest to this hour, Exonation, lostcontinentlibrary.blogspot.com. And um, along with Richard B. Spence, he is the author of Empire of the Wheel, Espionage, the Occult, and Murder in Southern California. What was the inspiration for writing uh, Empire of the Wheel? Well, that that was uh, interesting. It started out as a fun little uh, bit of research to mm-hmm. follow up on my Disneyland book, Latitude 33, that involved ley lines and Disneyland and strange phenomena associated with that. And I decided, well, what would I find if I followed the, um, the, the ley lines that intersect in Disneyland, as that book discusses? And, um, you know, researched and, and looked into what I would find. Um, so one of the lines uh, came out here past the uh, Inland Empire, which is where I live, and I discovered that there was a, a fun little ghost story associated with the ley lines in this area. And I went and talked to the source on that, and she, her, her name's Ann Walker, she's a local librarian, and she told me that she believes the ghost that haunted the shopping mall here um, was actually a woman named Cora Stanton who um, may have been murdered. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And I went over to the library, the special collections room, and dug into the newspapers of the day. And what I found kind of uh, got my attention real quick. Um, it looked indeed like she may have been murdered, but... What I also found were uh, six other people, three of them children, who died under very mysterious and questionable circumstances around the same time. This is all within most of them a matter of uh, just weeks, and uh, one of them a couple of months prior. And the more I looked into it, the stranger it got, um, the more involved it became. And next thing I knew, I was neck deep in, in what I believe is a big fat mystery um, that involves uh, possibly a serial murder and the occult. Where did your interest in the occult and the strange and the bizarre come from? Oh, I've been interested in that for, for many years, um, from the time I was a teenager. You know, when I was a kid, I was mm-hmm. uh, naturally, uh, as many people start, interested in UFOs. And then as you learn more about that phenomenon, you begin to see the other phenomenon in, in connected with it. And, um, you know, one thing leads to another, trying to understand that mystery, and it just it, it kind of draws you in. Um, and I, I've just been interested in it for years um, anyway, so this was right up my alley. As a former special agent with the AFOSI, did you ever investigate UFOs for the Air Force? No, no. My my specialty was counter-espionage. Um, I was chief of a counter-espionage operations branch at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, mm-hmm. um, and I was uh, a counterintelligence agent in uh, Los Angeles, my first assignment in El Segundo at LA Air Force Base. Um, however, as you would imagine, that line of work... Mm-hmm. You know, I had to have the right clearance levels yeah. and access for uh, for what I did for that organization. So you you know you kind of get exposed to um, technology that certainly explains a lot of what people see out there. Really, uh, in your opinion, the are there UFOs from other planets or other stars, dimensions, or dimensions of reality visiting this planet? Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I do 
I do think so. Um, I I do think that the majority of what people see is actually human technology. However, that doesn't explain all the sightings, all the experiences, and and I do accept that. Um, you know, there are people coming here from other planets, and the other dimensional thing really intrigues me quite a bit. So I, I think there's something to that. But uh, yeah, I'm even though I will say that about 80% of what people, 80 to 90% of what people are seeing are human technology, I'm not one of those that dismisses the idea that there's people coming here from other worlds. To me, it seems logical. You're a former FBI counterintelligence specialist. Now, what does a counterintelligence specialist do? Well, there's, there's not the, the the title counterintelligence specialist is what I use to describe the various positions I had in the bureau. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two positions during my time with the bureau in National Security Division. They call it now. We used to call it the Foreign Counterintelligence Division when I started. And um, the first uh, counterintelligence assignment I had was on a surveillance team. Um, basically, I followed uh, known or suspected uh, foreign intelligence officers around um, in a highly trained covert manner, of course. That's because surveillance is kind of my specialty. I continued to do it throughout my career and over the years, and I do it now as a PI. Um, And then I was a language specialist, Russian, and I was on um, a squad that was targeted against Russian intelligence officers working in the United States. So um, between those two, basically, they were both specialist positions. They're not agent positions. I didn't carry a badge and a gun, but I had a credential. And they were in the um, the counterintelligence operations arena. I actually, you know, was doing the street work. Right. was under what we call shallow cover. So it was an operational job that served me well right. experience-wise when I became an agent. So, uh, so I would imagine with the FBI you would be what we consider now to be a civilian member? Well, everybody's a civilian. Um, uh, it's, but, well, of course, I'm speaking like a, a military veteran. Yeah, but yeah. They're, they're all civilians. But, um, yeah, a support employee is what right. they refer to as, meaning you're non-agent. You don't carry a badge. You don't carry a gun. So what you're called is a, a support employee. But they have operational support, and then they have administrative support. And I started out. My first job for the first month was I was a mail clerk. <laughs> It just delivering the mail around the office, and they uh-huh. got pulled into counterintelligence. Excellent. Um, tell us about your first feature film, Secret of the Amazon Queen. Secret of the Amazon Queen. Well, that is the first novel that uh, my publishing company is. Um, it's small press. Mm-hmm. I publish, um, oh, right now about five or six other authors, and I also publish my own works. That was half the reason for starting a publishing company. Um, it's it's not a vanity press. It's an honest-to-goodness publishing company where, you know, when we were doing print, I paid out of my own pocket. But uh, The Secret of the Amazon Queen um, was is my first adventure novel under my pseudonym E.A. Guest. And it's what I call gothic pulp adventure. It's uh, kind of a bubblegum popcorn you know, type of genre story, period piece, for grown-ups. It's most definitely not for kids. It's uh, emphasis on the pulp. If you, you know, if you're really into the the history of uh, pulp fiction, you realize that it was the edgy stuff of its day. This is what we can now call new pulp. And um, it's it's kind of like um, 
it takes place in the 1800s, and you have these explorers that go down to South America, and they're captured by Amazons and taken to their hidden city, um, where they're ruled by a really beautiful queen who uh, kind of takes an interest in the leader of the expedition. But of course, as things get uh, uncovered and revealed and ensue, we find out that uh, the, the the queen is rather a femme fatale, somewhat of a villain, and uh, you'll have to read the story to learn what happens to the rest of it. But uh, the film has been in development. Um, oh, we started uh, a, a company in England. One of the BBC companies was originally looking at it back in 2005. Excuse me, 2004. And uh, we finally landed now with a producer in San Diego, and uh, we're going to be shooting uh, about uh, three weeks on a soundstage in San Diego and one week on location, either in Mexico or South America. Probably South America, the way Mexico has been looking lately. Yeah, it's not too safe down there. <laughs> no, no. Um, has the electronic printing or in the ebook market taken away from uh, print publishing houses? Um, oh, certainly. It's it's impacted that. Um, and, you know, I'm one of these guys who I've got a foot in uh, both camps. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm old enough. I'll be uh, I'll be turning 48 uh, this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm old enough that I love printed books. I appreciate printed books. I prefer printed books. Yeah. However, I'm just young enough that I see where the future's going. And it's not even the future. It's here. It's the here and now. And as a small press publisher, I have to tell you, with the way the economy's going, with the way the market is changing, um, the electronic I've embraced fully because it has allowed me to keep my label alive and in business. I stopped doing uh, printed uh, books in my catalog um, last year. And uh, I, we do print on demand, however, um, which is really the, the best way to go, I think, to stay in the printed book business. But certainly, everybody is enjoying their gadgets. This is an electronic digital age and um, era, I should say. And, you know, people like the convenience. People like being able to store an entire library on a small little device. Um, More and more people are embracing the reading of books on on little screens. And the devices are accommodating to true book lovers by the way they present it visually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely, it's impacted. It's putting the bookstores out of business, but part of what's putting the bookstores out of business, they shot themselves in the foot with the model that they started 20 years ago by making it comfortable to sit in a bookstore and read the book there. Really? You've got to realize that's been around now about almost 20 years, and people have gotten used to that. So they go in the bookstore, they pull a book off the shelf, they sit there and read it while they drink a $2 cup of tea, Mm -hmm. and they don't buy the book. And now that the digital age makes it cheaper and more convenient, they're buying books even less. And then when you throw the economy in there... Yeah, it's 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 a it's a combination of things, but certainly the digital publishing era um, has indeed affected uh, the print world. Walter, stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation. Uh, Walter Bosley is our special guest. He is the author of with Richard B. Spence, Empire of the Wheel, Espionage, the Occult, and Murder in Southern California. Plus, he is also the. Uh, let me see. He's in pre-production on Secret of the Amazon Queen, his first feature film as a director. The website, www.lostcontinentlibrary.blogspot.com. And uh, Walter and I will be back after the news as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Yeah. 
You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. Why do I feel like I'm losing control? Looking in your eyes, I see a paradise This world that I'm found is too good to be true Standing here beside you, want so much to give you This love in my heart that I'm feeling for you Let him see we're crazy and welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. Uh, my name is Rob McConnell. You're listening to us from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and our family of broadcast affiliates right across Canada, the United States, the Caribbean, Central America, South America, the Pacific Rim, Asia, India, Africa, and Europe. The Exxon is also available on Boxy, Rocco, Sony TV and Apple TV, and I think there's a couple more in there. I just don't have them on the tip of my tongue. But I've had a number of you have asked me to uh, let you know what the latest downloads are from our Podspats, uh, Podspats, yeah, Podspots on uh, Apple iTunes for this year, 894,968. Thanks to you, the members of the X-Zone Nation. Walter Bosley is our special guest. We're talking about... Lost, the Lost Continent Library. He is also in, in pre-production on The Secret of the Amazon, his first feature film as a director, and he is the co-author with Richard B. Spence of Empire of the Wheel, es, Empire of the Wheel, Espionage, the Occult, and Murder in Southern California. His website is lostcontinentlibrary.blogspot.com. How hard is it for someone with the idea of writing a book to actually get it published if they don't want to do the self-publishing route? Well, it, it all depends on who you go to, really. Every publisher has their guidelines, mm-hmm. what, they, what they do publish and what they don't. And um, a lot of times people think that the, when a publisher says, no, that's not quite a good fit for us, that they're rejecting their writing, when, when actually as a publisher you learn that you really got to stick to what your guidelines are. Um, now, I say that, but the reason a lot of times a publisher will create an imprint, which is another little label, is because they, they have a book come across their desk that they really believe in, they like, and they think, hey, we can do something you know, with this book for this author. So they want to go ahead and publish it, but they just don't want to publish it under their normal imprint. Now, I do that. Lost Continent Library is my, is my strict classic adventure uh, kind of steampunk uh, adventure pulp uh, label. Um, however, I have the other imprints, um, as I said before. So um, what an author needs to do is 
you know, really identify what genre their book is in, do their homework, look at all the available publishers out there, and just kind of eliminate the ones that, um, you know, are probably not going to be interested in their book and really go after the ones that uh, they think will be. Um, these days, actually, I think we're in a great era for authors in that the digital world offers so many opportunities. And, you know, self-publishing is not what it used to be. Um, you know, there used to be a big stigma attached to it, but, but actually um, there's nothing wrong with an author creating their own label to publish their own books um, because the digital world is allowing so much more to be considered mm -hmm. and taken seriously. So that self-publishing doesn't have the stigma so much anymore that, that used to be attached to it. But there are a lot of authors who self-publish, Walter, and please correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, who expect immediate results. They don't realize that there's a lot of marketing that has to happen. There's a lot of uh, correspondence that has to be done. It's just not a matter of sitting down at your at your computer, doing a story and putting it up in e-format there's there's so much more to it and i've seen so many authors get discouraged because they don't realize the work that has to go into it right oh you're absolutely right um you, you do writing the book and getting the book down getting it right is just the the start yeah. of the whole um you really do have to get out there and push it and promote it you've got to get out and talk on podcasts radio shows uh you know, gosh, if you can get on TV, um, you, you've got to do, uh, you know, your, your blogging and mm -hmm. you get out there in the social media. You really have to be constantly promoting yourself as much as the book. You, you've got to get yourself out there as a brand. Um, I, I, I usually don't like terms like that. I don't like when people brand themselves. But, you know, for the practical purposes, that's what it is. And uh, exactly, the work really starts once the book is finished and in a published form. And, and there are a few um, holdouts, uh, old school guys that, oddly enough, don't like, you know, coming out there and, and uh, promoting themselves. I, I guess the rest of us have a sufficient ego that <laughs> we, we kind of enjoy talking about sure. ourselves for an hour or two at a time. You know, and that's, that's one of the advantages of being with a major publishing house is they do all the work for you. But when you're doing it yourself, it's roll up the sleeves and get, you know, get those elbows to the grind. That's right. That's right. The beauty, though, is look who gets the profits. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> do it yourself. Um, uh, the, the other advice I would give is if you do publish yourself or if you're looking for a publisher, look for one or, or you keep your book when you're a new author priced as low as you can get it. Um, the the books that are priced around a dollar are making amazing headway into the profit margin. Major publishers are pulling their hair out yeah. because independent authors and publishers are out there selling these digital books for ninety nine cents, and um, you know the market is responding. People are giving new authors a chance for a buck that they wouldn't when it was printed, you know, and they had to lay down eight bucks. Or those authors couldn't even get published before. Um, for whatever reason, and now they're able to get their stuff out to the entire world. And, you know, you price it right, you know, you, you might sell more for a buck than you will for ten bucks. You know, and, and there's also these authors who, who self-publish or e-publish, put it on Amazon or any of the other many uh, electronic libraries and bookstores out there, and, and sit on their behinds and wait for things to happen. And then they get so discouraged, well, how come my, my book's not selling? Well, it's because you're not pushing it. 
you got to ring. You got to get out there and be the town crier for yourself. Exactly. Ring the bell and and yank people's chains and say, "Hey, I'm out here." It's just like when I do consulting for businesses. Uh, they, you know, they will say, "Well, you know, are you on any of the social media?" Well, you know, that takes a lot of time. Well, of course it takes time, but if you know, no pain, no gain. That's right. It's That's right. That it's that simple. What, in your opinion, was your greatest um, self-accomplished moment when writing Empire of the Wheel? Oh, well, I'll tell you the goosebump moment. All right. was the night that um, uh, I was doing some research, and uh, I, I immediately had to uh, tell Rick what I had discovered. But um, it had to do with, uh, and this is in the book, we have a chapter on this, the discovery um, about the Zodiac Killer. Now, the case in our book takes place in 1915, but the, 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 uh, we, we present that the evidence suggests that the killer or killers was killing people on or associated with ley lines, the energy lines that run through the earth, mm-hmm. of course, which I wrote about more extensively in the Disneyland book. Well, what we discovered, and the book presents for the first time anywhere, um, is that the Zodiac Killer appears to have been attacking or killing his victims on ley line sites. And um, this is what all the known victims and even the suspected ones have in common. And uh, that really, I, I was doing some analysis um, with the maps, um, the, the, looking at the Zodiac Killer popped up in the research because one of his uh, possible victims um, was murdered over here in the Inland Empire at Riverside Community College wow. in October of uh, 1966. And um, we had identified a ley line running through there. Now, we, in our book, we, use, we consult a guy who's been um, studying geomorphology for almost 30 years, and he provided us with the analysis um, when this theme popped up in our research. So when I saw that one of the Zodiac's alleged victims was killed there on this ley line, I thought, well, what the heck? And so I looked at all his, the sites of his other attacks and his known victims, mm-hmm. and I was astonished. Like I told you, I got goosebumps because I had a ley line map um, that I'd had for uh, about a year and a half before I even came across this, and I compared the Zodiac attack sites to this map that I'd had for over a year, and every, every one matched to ley lines. And it just it astonished me and Rick, and we decided this was important enough to go ahead and include in the book. Um, and the, the chapter in, in Empire of the Wheel that goes into this goes into great detail and, and lays this out. And um, that was that was really the biggie. That wow. that that's really a biggie. However, there's other things in there. When you we pulled a thread, essentially an Empire of the Wheel. You know, by pulling one thread, we revealed all sorts of interesting synchronicity. Um, out, we discovered that Alistair Crowley um, was in the area, going through California, and had to go through San Bernardino, where these murders took place, um, like a week before. Um, we discovered a connection between Harry Houdini and some of the player, one of the players in this mystery. And, um, and of course, if you're familiar with the Houdini uh, saga, he went after the spiritualists. And then, of course, some people think he was murdered by them mm-hmm. by poison. And in our mystery, there were some questionable deaths that involved poison. 
So it really was pointing to um, a, a perpetrator that was involved in the world of esoterica or spiritualism specifically. What do you think the significance of the ley lines is in, in the case of the Zodiac Killer? Um, just like it is in what we think it is with our case, um, that by killing people, basically human sacrifice on the ley lines mm-hmm. um, gives the perpetrator some type of power or energy. Um, in, in our book, we present, based on the circumstances and the synchronicities that popped up, that there was the worship associated with an ancient goddess um, involved in this. Um, in the Zodiac's case, it, you know, it's hard to tell. Again, our book doesn't point to any one um, perpetrator, doesn't try to identify the killer. What it does is it says, here's what we think was part of his M.O., what he was doing. And we think it had to involve the, the theme of power, personal power, because if you recall in the Zodiac case, he claimed that all his victims would become his slaves yes. in the afterworld. Um, and there's, there's other circumstances in the Zodiac killer case to point to um, the killer or killers um, having uh, knowledge of esoterica and the occult and such. Um, we we kind of present the, the possibility that the Zodiac killer, so to speak, might have been more than one person as well. We're not the first to say that, but uh, definitely um, uh, we think he was aware of what he was doing with uh, the ley lines. Do you think long- and only he or they can say exactly what the objective was, but we present what we, we can. Do you think that law enforcement uh, considers ley lines when doing an investigation that includes death? Well, you know, I'd like to say this. Our book, we went at this. We're not saying that the reader has to believe in what we present with the ley lines. We're not saying that they, the reader even has to agree with or believe in what we say the killers believed in. What we emphasize mm-hmm. in the book more than once is that we're presenting what we think the killers were motivated by and what the killers believed. Yeah. So, that said, um, we see the book primarily as a true crime book, and all the esoteric weird stuff um, serves you know, the M.O. possibly of the killers. Now, speaking as a criminal investigator myself, um, from that angle, from trying to understand the perpetrator and what he or she or they were doing, Yes, I think a criminal investigator would take into account all of this esoterica um, to serve the purpose of, say, putting together a psychological profile of the perpetrator. Um, And while not necessarily having to believe in these principles, because remember, none of that has to be true. It only has to be true in the killer's mind, if you follow me. Sure do. Their motive for doing what they did and how they did it. You made reference a couple of times to the ley lines and Disneyland. Uh, we've got about a minute and a half, and then, of course, I can carry on to the other side of the uh, the break. Uh, can you just give us a, a little bit of a teaser as to what your other book was about? Oh, yes. that uh, Based on a personal experience I had as a teenager at Disneyland many years ago um, that kind of uh, stuck with me and haunted me, I uh, started looking into strange esoteric things involving Disneyland, and boy, did I uh, did I find some things. And the book um, goes into um, that and the man who actually designed Disneyland and his association to the 
esoteric. All right. When, when we come back, if you could give us one or two examples, that would be fantastic. Walter, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's a very interesting hour, interesting topic, and I wish you nothing but success with your movie, Secret of the Amazon Queen, and, of course, with your new book that you wrote with Richard B. Spence, Empire of the Wheel, Espionage, the Occult, and Murder in Southern California. Exonation, to find out more about Walter Bosley and his many going-ons, visit his website, lostcontinentlibrary.blogspot.com. And Walter and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Don't go away now. Looking in your eyes, I see a paradise. This world that I'm found is too good to be true. Exonation Walter Bosley is our special guest this hour. Website www.lostcontinentlibrary.blogspot.com. All right, Walter, what kind of examples can you give us about the the ley lines and Walt Disney and Disney World? I should say Disneyland. Uh, I'll get it right. Disneyland yet. was designed by a gentleman named uh, C. V. Wood. He was mm-hmm. hired by the Disney Brothers from the Stanford Research Institute, which many of your listeners may be familiar with. Um, That institute was um, involved with the creation of all sorts of amazing technology, plus they were involved with remote viewing and and other interesting uh, things out there on the edge. And uh, C.V. Wood was very much interested in this stuff, and he was the man who physically designed Disneyland. And he placed the carousel on the intersection of three ley lines that run through the Disneyland property, according to our geomorphology wow. expert, Seshari, um, who's written a fantastic book on this subject, uh, not specifically Disneyland, but the, the general subject of the geomorphology and the ley lines, called hand, The Handprint of Atlas. Um, and uh, at the, the experience I had at Disneyland um, is in the book um, in greater detail, but um, it involved um, possibly 
some experience with um, interdimensional phenomena. Um, it's, it's kind of a story in itself. And that kind of, it, it hung with me for years, in, including the synchronicities um, uh, about it. I, I, I met this old man one night at Disneyland after riding the carousel, and he, he said his name was Alfred. And um, many years later, I'm working for the FBI in Manhattan, and I come across a book called The Old Straight Track, written by a guy named Alfred Watkins. I open it up, and there's the man I met at Disneyland. The problem is that man, Alfred Watkins, died in 1935. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, so that really that stayed with me for years. And, you know, I, I learned that Disneyland is on the 33rd degree of latitude, which other weird, you know, interesting things are associated with the 33rd degree of latitude. And one thing led to another, and I decided, well, I'm going to dig into this. And uh, as I dug into it, it, it's all in the book there. Um, the, the very interesting things. Um, that I discovered associated with Disneyland and these ley lines, and uh, Southern California in general. And what's interesting is, um, and this is good background for Empire of the Wheel, my co-author, Richard Spence, his book, Secret Agent 666, which is about Aleister Crowley and mm-hmm. Lusitania and his spy work while he was in the United States, um, was, was what brought me to Rick to bring him into the book, Empire of the Wheel, because it provided some background for what was going on with the mystery here in San Bernardino. It turns out Crowley, every place he stopped and every place he traveled through on his tour through the U.S. followed the route of these ley lines and their intersections. Interesting. So my reaction was, what's this? This is kind of odd. And um, Walter, I hate to do this, but we've just run out of time. We'll have to have you back on to talk more about the ley lines, Alistair Crowley, Disney World, and much more. Until then... Keep up the great work. Congratulations on all that you do, and we look forward to the next time you join us here in the Exxon. Thanks, Rob. Take care, Walter. LostContinentLibrary.blogspot.com. I'll be back after the break. Don't go away. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. 